Well, that's probably a pretty good sample of how people look at the world. I mean, I don't think any of us wants the world to end. Amen. I mean, we love life. We love people. We love what God is doing. But at the same time, we're, we're realistic enough to look at our world and say, wow, there's a lot of stuff going on in our world that is confusing and puts us on really kind of that doorstep of a lot of stuff could go wrong. You know, when I uh, started college, I was a pre-law student, and uh, God kind of turned my heart. I began to read the Bible, and when I read the Bible, I, I picked up another book, and it was on the return of Christ. And I read this book on the return of Christ, and I said, if this is true, I'm in trouble. Because everything it basically said not to do, I'd already done a couple of times. And we were living in that, in that time and season where there was a, a great move of God in terms of the spirit of God uh, with that, that Jesus movement that, that was really rocking its way across America. And so there was a heightened awareness of the return of Christ. There was that question being asked all the time, are we close to that day? Now, we're going to look later and see that no one knows the hour or the day of the Lord's return, but the one thing that a lot of people uh, will say to me, in fact, my daughter will say this to me all the time, Dad, do you think the Lord is coming back soon because I want to have children? And as a, you know, beaming grandfather, I say, please start now. Have all you want, you know. We love grandchildren at our house. But, uh, but the one thing that comes back is this word hope, and I want you to think about the word hope because sometimes we think that the idea when we talk about the return of Christ, we're talking about something that pulls hope away from us. Uh, and so what we want to see is not this doom and gloom kind of picture that the world paints about the world or what even some Christians, but we want to look at it from a biblical perspective and ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about the return of Christ? More specifically, what does it say about the subject of the rapture? So we're going to talk about that today, but I want to give you some way to, to kind of remember this word hope. I want you to start with the word he, and you might want to just kind of fill this acrostic out so you can remember it. But he, that is God, offers peace every day. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. Jesus wanted us to understand this, that in the world you might have tribulation or you will have tribulation, but be not overcome, for I have overcome the world. My joy do I give to you that your joy might be made full. So when we begin to understand and we begin to look at our world, we begin to look at biblical uh, admonitions about the return of Christ, the rapture of the church, whatever else is happening in this world, uh, this geopolitical world we live, we want to always go back to this thing about hope. So every day, if you can kind of put this in your head and said, he, that is God, offers peace every day. Every day I wake up, God says, I'm going to give you my peace. You don't have to worry about what's happening because you have my peace. You don't have to fear the future because you have my peace. I am with you wherever you go. When he, God took Moses and he said, Moses, I'm going to send you into Egypt, I'm sure that he had a lack of peace going on in his mind. But you see, he said, don't worry, I am with you. I am your God. I will go with you every day. I am your peace. So I want you just to, to get that in your head. I am your peace. God is telling you that every single day. Now, when we look at the book of Genesis is what we're doing. We're going to take you through some of the major doctrines of the Bible because you know what God does? He introduces major teaching in the book of Genesis for us so that we can understand. And you might say, well, does the rapture 
is it spoken of in the book of Genesis? Absolutely. And it's in the, the biblical character, a man by the name of Enoch. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to, to think about Genesis like this. Genesis helps us to understand the end of the age. Genesis helps us to understand the end of the age. Let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Look what it says. Now, all of these things happened to them, that is, Old Testament characters. So it's, it's speaking, it's looking back, and it's saying, well, all those people that, that went through all of that, why did that happen? It happened as examples. And they were written for our admonition. So when I read the Old Testament, it says, I want you to be admonished. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to, be, I want you to understand some things about this. Upon whom the ages, the end of the ages, have come. So here's what God is saying. He's saying that when you look at the Old Testament, there are examples, and there are examples that help us to understand about the future. Okay, let me take a, a little bit deeper into the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis provides hope. Hope. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says this, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have what? Let's say it together. What? We might have hope. So when I read the word of God, God wants to fill me with this idea of hope. That is, he always offers peace. Every day of my life, God offers peace. In fact, the word hope literally means that what God has promised, God will fulfill. God is always going to meet the expectations of your hope when you put your hope in God. Now let me take you to Genesis. So let's drill down now and look at Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to look at a biblical character by the name of Enoch. He's only mentioned a few times in Scripture, but when he is mentioned, it's very, very significant. So let me show you that. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Now let's just stop there. Methuselah lived longer than anyone on planet earth. But his name literally means in the Hebrew, when he is gone, the end will come. So Methuselah was kind of like a walking prophet. Wherever Methuselah was, they would say, they would understand his name. When he is gone, the end will come. Imagine if that was your name. And every time somebody saw you, says, you know, we've only got as long as Methuselah. Now, it's not unusual for God to, uh, to have prophets name their children like walking prophecies. For example, Isaiah had two sons. One son's name was Malaher Shalal Hashbaj. It's a good name, right? And it just means the spoil uh, speeds and the prey hastens. And it was, God said, your boy is going to be a prophecy that unless Israel turns, that I'm going to send in foreign invaders, foreign armies, and they're going to go through your, through your country so fast, they're not even going to pick up the spoils of war. He had another son, Shear Jashub, similar meaning. And so the idea is that God always send warning. God always sends prophets. He wants us to understand something about it. Methuselah was just like that. So Enoch has a son. His name is Methuselah. And it says, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. And I don't want you just to pause there for a second. And I want you to think about that phrase. After he, had, after he became a father, it says he walked with God. I wonder what happened. Those of you who are fathers who've uh, been through that experience, you know it radically changes you. 
I like to ask the new dads in our church, I said, tell me, how has having a baby changed you? And every one of them will answer something like this. It has changed everything about my outlook. It has changed my perspective on life. It's, it's caused me to pray more. It's caused me to value more. It, it's just changed me. I wonder what happened in that experience when Enoch became the father of Methuselah. Whether, whether God gave him that revelation or he sensed that revelation, I'm going to name my son Methuselah. Whatever happened, it changed it because it then says that Enoch walked with God 300 years. He became a father and then he walked with God. God, I think, moved in his heart in that transition time. Have you ever noticed how when you're in transition times that God speaks to you in even greater ways? For example, have you ever been to a funeral and it's a transition time? And all of a sudden, God speaks to you. He grabs your heart. Been to a wedding. It's a transition time. God speaks to your heart. I did a wedding uh, a couple of years ago, and it was an outdoor wedding uh, down toward the beach, and there was a large hotel that was surrounded it, and we were out front, and, and I was giving this, this wedding address, and there was probably 100, 150 people gathered there. And there was probably, I don't know, it looked like maybe 75 people out at the pool and out of the restaurant. And, and I got done speaking, and all of a sudden, four or five different people came up to me, and clearly they did not have the wedding gown on. They did not, we weren't dressed for the wedding. They came in shorts, they came in bathing suits, they came up, and they said, you know, I couldn't help but hear the wedding address. And I renewed my vows with my wife, and here she is right here. It was a transition time. See, transitions in your life, they're times for God to speak. When, when people retire from jobs, they're transition times. When you sell a company, they're transition times. Those are moments where God can really speak to you in greater and greater ways. I think this was true for Enoch. Enoch had a transition. All of a sudden, he becomes a father. God speaks to him, and God shows him something about eternity. He shows him something about what's happening in the world. And notice what it says. And he had sons and daughters. It doesn't say anything about the other sons and daughters. That wasn't what was significant here. It was this transition in this one person by the name of Methuselah. And then it says, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God. And here comes the unusual thing. And he was not. Whenever you read the genealogy in Genesis, you'll notice that it says, so-and-so lived so many years, and he died. And he died, and he died. Every one of those genealogical records says that, except for Enoch. And it doesn't say that. Enoch disappeared. It says, for God took him. It means to pick up and to carry away. It's so unusual that it captures our attention because of everything that surrounds it. What happened to Enoch? Can you imagine what was happening in that, that place where he lived, that village, that city where he lived? And people were saying, where is Enoch? We don't know. He's disappeared. Well, didn't God love him? Didn't he walk with God? Yes. His son Methuselah is still here. What, is, what happened with Enoch? God is showing us something in the life of Enoch that helps us to understand the future. Now, here's what I mean by that. Whenever God speaks like this, he's going to show us about the future in a couple of ways. If I look at uh, just a timeline here and I think about here is Enoch. What follows Enoch is the great flood. It is a tribulation on the earth. And so the flood comes here, and following the flood, there's a new earth. 
There's something transformational that happens after that. If I go a little bit further down the, the timeline here, we have something called the rapture. And following the rapture is something called the tribulation. And following the tribulation is new. That is really messy, isn't it? All right. Okay. So what, what we're understanding here is that there's something here that teaches us something about here. Later on, we're going to look at the scripture that says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Well, these are the days of Noah right here. Chapter 6 begins the days of Noah. Chapter 5 was Enoch. Enoch was taken out. He did not experience this. Then all of a sudden, we, we see God bringing a new earth. Coming down the road here, we're going to look at this in depth. We're going to see the rapture of the church, the true believers, not those who profess to be Christians, but those who truly know their God. Following that will be a tribulation period, and following that will be a new heaven and a new earth, a millennial reign initially, and then a new heaven and a new earth. Now, who was Enoch? Let's go ahead and take a little bit look. We're going to study a little bit today. Is that okay? We're going to give you a lot of scriptures. We hope you'll write them down. We'll hope you'll just kind of go home and meditate on this because this is just critical informational stuff that you need to understand what the Bible is all about when it comes to prophecy. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken away. Now, all of a sudden, we jump from Genesis, we jump to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, and it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away. We know Enoch was a man of faith. The Bible says he was taken away. It does not say he died. Look what it says. So that he did not see death. Now, do you see how the Old Testament helps us to understand the New Testament? And it says, he was not found, for God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. What a great testimony to have before God. God is pleased with you. Now, whenever we say that, people typically start to look at their life and they think about, you know, all the ways they failed God and disappointed God or haven't worked hard enough, haven't loved long enough, haven't given enough, haven't had enough faith or whatever. I want you to take all that thinking out of your mind. You know what pleases God? What pleases God is when you choose every day to live for him. Every day you choose to live for God. Because you see, it's not about your goodness or your righteousness. It's about his goodness and his righteousness. It's about his love for you. And every day is a new day. Every day you can live your day with hope. He offers peace every day. God doesn't want any one of us to live under a shadow of guilt or condemnation. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit has set us free. Now look what it says. Before he was taken, he had this testimony. He pleased God. I want you to be able to say every day, I'm pleasing to God. I'm going to try to live for you today, God. I'm going to love you the very best I can. And if I fail, God, I know you'll forgive me. God, I'm moving forward. See, that's pleasing God. Now, verse 6, a verse we typically remember, but we don't connect it with Enoch. But without faith, it is impossible to please God him. So it's tied to Enoch. Enoch pleased God. He's the example for verses uh, uh, six, uh, 5 and 6. It says, so, but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that comes to God. What do I do? I come to God in prayer. I come to God in faith. I come to God. And when I come to God, I must believe that he is. I must believe that God is who he says he is, not who I think he is. 
The way I know who God is is the word of God. The word of God is unchangeable and fixed in the heavens. It's eternal. God even says of his word, I have exalted my word even above my name. Think about that. My word is more important. My word will never fade away. Why the the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Do you believe that God is? That's the first step. But notice the second, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hey, you know what? When I really commit myself to God, God finds ways to reward me is what it says. The example, Enoch. Enoch pleased God. Enoch walked by faith. What was the reward for Enoch? The reward for Enoch was that God took him. He became forever that example for us of that person who would be raptured out of this tribulational period and experience the freedom with God. You see, God has an amazing way of protecting his children in the midst of trouble. I mean, think about what happened in Egypt. Here are the ten plagues coming, but they don't touch Israel. Think about Noah, those eight people on that great ship. Think about them. The tribulation was on the earth, but God had protected those eight. In the same way, God will protect you in every situation because why? He offers hope. He offers peace every day of your life. Don't ever wake up and say, I don't have any hope. No, I have hope because of God. Oh, the world might not look like it and your circumstances might not look like it, but you have hope because you hope in God, because you must believe that God is the God of the Bible and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know what what our prayer should be every day? God, I just want to diligently seek you today. I just want to be diligent about that. You say, well, I, I don't have time to pray eight hours a day. It's not what it's talking about. Well, I don't have time to read the Bible for it. It's not what it's talking about. Every day in your heart, when you usher those little prayers out, you just say, God, I just want to seek you today. God, what are you up to today, and how can I join you in this process? God, I want to be a partner with you. God, would you help me, love? God, would you give me the words? God, would you give me wisdom? I just want to diligently seek you, God. God hears that and sees that heart, and God is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, let's look a little bit further into this idea of who was Enoch. Well, he was the father of Methuselah, as we've already said. Now, let me give you a little bit of math here. This is really interesting, um, and I'm not much of a mathematician, but I, I've got my numbers right this time, all right? It says, uh, here's what we need to understand. Noah was born when Methuselah was 369 years old. Now, think about that one. The flood came when Noah was 600. So if I take the 600 plus the 369, it's 969, which was how old Methuselah was when he died. So the scripture confirms that Methuselah died when the flood came. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, his name, first of all, says when he is gone, the end will come. That's significant. It's also significant that the end did come in the year that he died. Furthermore, here's what we know about Enoch. He was a prophet of God. So let's go to the book of Jude. How many of you ever didn't even know there was a book of Jude? Amen? All right. In the Bible, there is a little book called Jude. It only has one chapter in it, but I want to give you just a couple of verses because it mentions Enoch. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. He was a prophet. Enoch, we may not see that in Genesis 5. We may not see that in Hebrews chapter 11. But in the book of Jude, we understand that Enoch was a prophet. He prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints 
to execute judgment on all. So let's just stop there for a moment. God is coming to execute judgment. What was he talking about the Lord coming here? Was this great army with God to bring judgment here? Or was he prophesying about this event that tells us something about the Lord's return? Well, we're going to look a little deeper, but it says in the, in the book of Jude, to convict all who are ungodly among their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, that is God. Now, I want you to start to understand what is the rapture. So here is a definition of the rapture. The rapture is the supernatural removal of the church. The true born-again believers in Jesus Christ from the earth to meet Jesus Christ who has personally comes to meet the church in the clouds before being taken to heaven. Now let me give you a diagram to help you understand that a little bit deeper. So if you look at this diagram that we have of the return, you'll notice we're living right now in what's called the church age, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 3, or chapter two, chapters 2 and 3. And then in chapter 6 through 18 of the book of Revelation is the tribulation period. Now there's a little interim in there in chapter 4 and 5 where you get a heavenly scene of the Lamb of God on the throne. Now what happens is the church then is raptured out of the picture And the tribulation begins on planet earth. That tribulation is a period of seven years on the earth. When you read Revelation, most of what you're going to read probably is going to be tribulation because it it covers chapter 6 through 18. At the end of that tribulation period is what's called the second coming or the return of Jesus Christ. That's where he actually comes to earth and he inaugurates in a millennial kingdom. That's a thousand-year reign. At the end of that millennium is an event called the Great White Throne Judgment. That's where every unbeliever will stand before God to give an account. And God then ushers in a new heaven and a new earth. Now, the reason that diagram becomes important, because you understand that that diagram begins about here. But what we're looking at is Enoch and how Enoch's life and the teaching of Genesis helps us to understand way back in the book of Genesis what's going to be happening here. So let me take you to another New Testament scripture. Write this one down too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 17. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep, that is, those who have died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Lord himself will descend from heaven. Okay, that's the rapture. He's talking about the rapture here coming up. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So all of your family and friends that you've known, all Christians throughout the centuries, they will rise first to meet the Lord in the air. And then, notice what it says, then, verse 17, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. And that's this word rapture. The word rapture does not appear in Scripture. It literally is the Greek word caught up. The where the word rapture came from, it came from a Latin word, which means caught up. All right, so that's where that term came from. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be. So that's exactly what happened with Enoch. Now what's interesting is that the Bible says it's appointed for all men to die once and then the resurrection. Well, doesn't that give us a problem? Because Enoch never died. Enoch will die. 
Enoch will come back as one of the two witnesses during the tribulation period, and he will be killed along with Elijah who never tasted death. Do you see how, how Scripture lays itself out perfectly? Enoch will come back as one of the two witnesses. He will proclaim the kingdom of God. He will suffer death. God will raise him from the dead. The whole world will be amazed. God will then usher in 144,000 witnesses, all Jews, who will speak from 12,000 from every tribe, and they will speak to the nations about the kingdom. Even in the middle of the tribulation, God has witnesses going on for people to come to faith because God wants people to live, know that he offers peace every day. Even during the tribulation, there is a way to find peace. There is a way to find God. There's even a, in, in uh, Revelation 14, it talks about an angel that flies proclaiming the everlasting gospel. Have you heard people say that, we, that God won't come back until the gospel is preached to every nation? Well, that's simply not really lined up with Scripture because what happens is the Bible says he'll come back at any time, right? But guess what? Every nation is going to hear the gospel, Revelation chapter 14, from an angel who proclaims the gospel of the kingdom to every single person on planet earth. God always, always has a plan. Amen? In your life, in my life, God has a plan. You say, well, I don't know what's going on. What is God doing? He has a plan. Well, it doesn't feel like it. Don't worry about it. God has a plan. Now, it says here that uh, when will it occur? We, we, we all ask, well, when is this going to happen? Because I'd like to know in advance. That way I can max out my credit cards. <laughs> right? Well, we don't know when it's going to happen. If you knew the night the thief would come, you would sit, stand guard and wait for him, wouldn't you? If you knew when, you were, when this was going to happen, then you would probably get ready. God wants you to live every day with expectancy of the return of Christ. Amen? Every day of your life. When will it occur? Well, it will occur prior to the tribulation. It will come at a time of the Father's own choosing. Matthew chapter 24. Listen to what it says. But of that day and of that hour, no man knows. So if somebody says, I got the date, you can just kind of brush them off. They don't know. Not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. Now look what it says. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. You want to know what his return is going to be like? Look at this. Study Genesis. When you study Genesis, you're going to understand this. You know what they did in Genesis before the flood came? They ridiculed Noah and they said, all you do is talk about the end of the age. All you do is talk about God. We're going to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die and there's nothing beyond that. You see, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of Son of Man. Now, this date, this event is dateless. It is timeless. It is signless. This is not going to be announced in advance. We don't know when it will be. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. It could be next year. Jesus said, in a time that you think not, the Son of Man comes. The angels do not know when Christ will return. Gabriel does not know. Michael does not know. Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, they don't know the time of the Lord's return. The apostles do not know. No one knows. Jesus Christ, while on earth, said, I do not know the time of my own return. But God the Father knows. Someday, bodily, the saints will be lifted up and shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. 
The Bible says that people will look for us just like they looked for Enoch, but they won't find us. In the Bible, there is a parable of ten virgins. And these ten virgins, they come expecting to go to the wedding. Five of them are foolish. Five of them are wise. All of a sudden, there is a midnight cry that is given. The bridegroom is coming. Let's go out to meet him, the scripture says. The foolish said unto the wise, give us some of your oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And they said, no, rather you go sell and buy for yourselves and get your own oil. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in to be in the wedding, and the door was shut. Just like the door was shut on the ark, the door was shut. Afterward, the virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But the Lord said, I do not know you. And that parable closes with this word, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. Stand with me as we pray. Father, none of us know the hour of the day. You've told us that. You've told us to live our life with expectancy. You've told us to live our life in such a way, God, that that we are ready for your return if it's today, if it's this moment right now, God. God, some of us need to to come to faith in Christ today. There's some today that don't know you, and they need to know for certain that you are Lord, that you are King, that you have saved them, that you have touched their life. And I pray for you, if you are uncertain about your eternal destiny, that this morning, right now, that you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so as to be saved, that you would call on him who saves us from our sins. I pray you would pray a prayer like this one. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross, were buried, and rose from the dead to give me the gift of life. Save me right now, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart right now, Lord Jesus. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life, Lord Jesus. And in your own words, just thank him for saving your soul. If that was your prayer, just thank him right now. If you prayed that prayer in faith, believing, God did exactly what he said he would do. He would save your soul. He would write your name in the Lamb's book of life for all eternity. Was that your prayer? I hope so. That was your prayer. Would you just right now just look at me just for a moment, just as a statement of faith. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Amen. God bless you and you. Yes, God bless you. God's promise. That's God's promise to you. It's to give you hope every day. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Now let me talk to you who who know the Lord. And you say, I've prayed that prayer and I've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for his return today? He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Would you diligently seek him today? Would you just put your eyes on Jesus and just say, I'm going to follow you today, Jesus. I'm not going to let anything deter me. I'm going to follow you today. And tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to wake up with new hope, a new sense of peace, a new sense of diligence about the things of God. We are here on a mission. We are here to change the world, all of us. Little by little, one person at a time. We can't do it all, but together we can do it. 
Together we partner with the Lord. And the Lord uses us in a mighty way. The sacrifice we spoke of earlier that men and women have made on the battlefields of this planet, significant, important, valuable. We too must make a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of loving God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. To love our neighbors, ourself. To love our neighbor enough to give him the gospel. To love our neighbor enough to pray for him. To encourage him. To tell him about Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for every person here. I thank you, God, for the, the wonderful gifts and ability you've put in our hearts and in our lives to make a difference. God, you gave us your spirit that lives in us right now. You've given us opportunity every day to talk to friends and family. Over this weekend, we'll have, we'll have opportunities. We don't want to miss any of them, God. We want to seize every one of them in a, in a way that just is natural and yet supernatural at the same time. That's normal and yet out of this world. God, give every one of us that strength, that opportunity, that power this weekend and every day of our life to be your witnesses here in this area and around the world. And now may I bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be glorious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. May you shine like the sun. May the joy of the Lord be in you, and may you live every day with hope and peace that passes understanding, knowing that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend. Remember those who have fallen. And uh, remember, come back next week. We've got two messages. Stay for both hours. It's going to be a great weekend to celebrate our nation and to learn about what God is doing in our world. God bless you. Have a great day.